0: This is a Saddleback Church Podcast.
1: Well, today we're starting a brand new message series. It's called Transferring Trust. And I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online, those of you at all of our campuses and our extensions all over the world. We're going to talk for the next few weeks about a very important subject, the subject of trust. But before we go there, I want to tell you some very exciting news of what God is doing in the life of our church. As you know, Saddleback is one church, many locations. Right now, we have 18 physical campuses, one online campus. We have 40 extensions that are gathering in homes and clubhouses all over the world. And actually, uh, when we began, Stacy and I started in in this role in September of last year. Uh, We laid out a 25-year vision, which included starting more campuses but we didn't know when that would be. And the reason we start new campuses and we have multiple campuses is because we wanna reach more people and more places with the love of Jesus. Well, last year, at the end of the year, there was a couple by the name of David and Renette Mills who pastor a church called Faith Community Church in Whittier, Southern California. They approached us and said, hey, we're getting close to retirement, and we're wondering if Saddleback would bring us into the family of Saddleback as one one of your campuses. And we started to pray with them, their elders, their staff, our elders, and over a several month period of time, it became clear that God was leading in this direction, and last week, their church gathered together, they voted, and decided to become a part of the Saddleback family, to be launched as Saddleback Whittier in the fall of 2023. (laughs) Now, this is incredible, and uh, I'm not done, though, so... um, Actually, our Hong Kong campus has been sending people. People have been moving from Hong Kong all over the world. Two places where we started extensions out of Hong Kong, one in Vancouver, uh, and another in Manchester in the United Kingdom. And those extensions started growing. Actually, uh, you'll see later in our service today, they grew to over 50 people gathered together. And it became clear with the leadership there that God was leading us to launch them out to officially become campuses as well. So when we launch Whittier this fall, we will also launch Saddleback Vancouver and Saddleback Manchester this fall, all at once, three brand new locations. And this is exciting, and it also means that it's gonna require us to step up. And that's only a few months away, we're gonna build a launch team, We're gonna need prayer partners. We're gonna need people even who move to those communities. Maybe you know somebody that lives in one of those cities or perhaps you're joining online and you're close by there. We're gonna believe that God will use our church to make a difference. I know in many of these communities, there are already awesome churches, but we know there are people that God wants to reach through Saddleback, and let's be praying. In fact, if you wanna be a part of this journey, and it's gonna take many hands and many people praying You can today let us know your interest as you take your next steps. Uh, As you scan the QR code, there's a button that you can click on that says Campus Launch Team. You can sign up to get more info as we get closer, and I can't wait to see what God's going to do. So I just want to celebrate one more time, God's faithfulness to Saddleback Church. Now, as we begin, I want to invite you to pull out your message notes, and we're going to talk about the subject of trust, and I want to begin recognizing the fact that we are all creatures of trust. You might say, I'm not a person of faith, but you certainly are a person of trust. In fact, if you don't believe me, um, you are, most of us who are listening to my voice, are seated right now in a chair. You are trusting that chair. And let's believe that that tra- chair is dependable for your bottom. It's holding you up safe and secure. And when you trust in an object, you are placing your faith in that object's ability To carry you. We all trust. You trusted when you came to church services today. You trusted the traffic when you were driving to work this week. Some of us trusted the traffic more than others. Stacy and I joke, people ask, how far do you live from the Lake Forest campus? She says 15 minutes. I say 10. It's because I have more trust in traffic than she does. So we are all people of trust. Trust is the currency of life. When trust is eroded in a relationship, that relationship suffers. You trust your place of work. Some of us trust the government more than others we trust. Trust is the currency of life. Now, trust, when it comes to trust, defining, this is my definition, trust is active surrender. So again, if you're trusting the chair that you're in, you actively have surrendered yourself to that chair. Trust is active surrender, but when it comes to a faith journey, It's active surrender based on the reliability, I want you to hear this, based on the reliability of God's goodness. So these next few weeks, what I want to do with all that I can, all my power and strength that God gives to me, I want to convince you of the reliability of God's goodness. That not only is he capable, but he's good, he's concerned for you, and he wants to bless you. He is worthy of your trust. And we're gonna look at the mirror of our trust. Now, if I want to know what I trust in, one of the best ways I can test my trust is how I handle my earthly treasures. In fact, that's the third part about trust. The truth about trust is trust is tested based on how I handle what's in my hands. Based upon what I do with the earthly treasures, possessions, cars, houses, cash, all of that reveals to me what I've put my trust in. So for These next few weeks, we're gonna talk about the issue or the subject of money, of finances, of what have I put my trust in when it comes to my finances. Now, I've talked about money a whole lot in ministry over the last 20 years, but I've been here nine months and this is the first message series or message I've ever done on money. I'm a little bit nervous, to be honest. And part of the reason why I'm nervous, I, I want you to like me. I like you, I want you to like me. And isn't it true sometimes that people get funny when you start talking about money? And sometimes when it comes to church, we can think, well, when we talk about money, it's all about what the church wants from us or the pastor wants from us. And I hope you hear so clearly from my heart this message series, this message today is not about what we want from you, it's about what we want for you. In fact, this message series is not connected to an offering for our church, it's all about investing in your journey spiritually to go on a journey of generosity to experience more of God's joy, his peace, and his favor on your life. And more than I want to be liked, I want to help you. I want to help you experience the fullness of freedom that God has for you. And so often the place that so many of us live our lives in bondage is when it comes to finances. There was a story in the early church history when many of the soldiers would get baptized they would hold their sword out of the water. They'd get baptized with their whole body except for their sword. It's like, you can take everything except the sword because I still wanna kill people. And sometimes, sometimes Christians are like that when it comes to their wallet. It's like, you can baptize all of me but I'm keeping this part of me up above the water. And if I hold back on that area of my life, I don't experience the fullness of joy and freedom that God has for me. Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. Half the parables from Jesus are about the subject of finances and money. So I believe if Jesus were to show up today in the 21st century, he would talk about what we're going to talk about. But we're going to do it through the angle of trust. Because really, at the end of the day, that's what God is after. He's after your trust. He's after your faith. He wants to bless you, but it's all through the conduit of trust in him. Matthew chapter 6:19 Jesus speaks and listen to what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, where your earthly possessions are, there your heart will be also. So there's a clear line between my bank account, and my heart, between my earthly possessions and my heart. So if I wanna shift the direction of my heart, I shift the investment of my treasure, and I can redirect my trust based upon what I do with what God places into my hands. And I'm gonna do this message from encouragement, from blessing, it's an invitation, I'm gonna smile a whole lot, so you know it comes from a good heart desiring God's blessing for you. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 17, and we're going to journey through the story of Elijah in the Old Testament. I love these Old Testament stories because we see the faithfulness of God thousands of years before Jesus came, pointing to God's faithfulness to always provide for and care for his people. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, we find Elijah the prophet show up for the very first time. This is in fact, the moment where Elijah begins his ministry, and I want you to see how it begins. First Kings chapter 17, now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, who at this point is the wicked king for the nation of Israel, he's worshiping false gods, he's buried this wicked person called Jezebel, and they're worshiping the God, or the, 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 the worshiping Baal, so they're not worshiping the one true God, and Elijah shows up, and he's going to Speak to Ahab, and he says this for his first sermon. As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, O wicked King Ahab, the God I serve, says there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. How would you like for that to be your first sermon? It's like, solid start, Elijah. Thank you very much. Now, Elijah preaches this word to Ahab about this coming drought that's gonna happen for the people of Israel. And then in verse two, it says, then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east by the Cherith Brook near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat with the ravens, not the football team, the bird. Drink what the, or eat what the ravens bring to you for I have commanded them to bring you food. Now notice for just a moment what's happening in this passage. I want you to write down two words in your notes It's not a blank, so don't freak out if you don't see the blank, those of you who like your fill-ins. The word provision and the word protection. So God is providing and he's protecting. He's providing for the needs that Elijah has, but he's taking him into the wilderness to get away from Ahab for a period of time to protect him. God is a provider and a protector. So the same God, there's a worship song we sing sometimes that says, the same God that split the sea for Moses. That's the same God we sing to. The same God that brought Jesus from death to life is present. The same God that worked in scripture. The same God that showed up for Elijah wants to show up in your life. And the way he shows up for Elijah is very interesting. He takes him into the wilderness to be camped by a brook so that he can drink all you know, day as he needs water. But then he's going to use ravens to bring these these. Food to him morning and night so the ravens start bringing food to Elijah and watch what happens it says so Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside the Careth brook east of the Jordan the ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening and he drank from the brook now sometimes I'll get a little bit distracted with YouTube videos during the week and sometimes it's connected to my sermons so I saw this whole thing about ravens. I'm like, I'll watch a bunch of videos on ravens. Ravens are fascinating birds, by the way. And a couple of interesting things. Ravens actually have goatees. Um, Yeah, if you want to know the difference between a crow and a raven, a raven has a goatee. A a crow is a little bit like straighter. You know, that looks looks like he shapes. You know, But the raven has a goatee. Does not pertain to the message, but um ravens are brilliant birds some people think that ravens are smarter than seven-year-old kids and somebody says it depends on the kid right but they're very smart birds they actually can be trained so god god's like not choosing a dodo here he's choosing a raven he's choosing a smart bird that he's going to use to feed elijah but i want you to imagine this is mix-up usually people feed birds birds don't feed people but God can use a bird to feed Elijah in the middle of the wilderness. God can take care of you. God can provide for you in an economic recession. God can work in the middle of inflation when it seems like your back is against the wall. Your limitation never limits God. God can use a raven and a brook in the middle of the desert to provide for Elijah's needs. God can provide No matter what our situation or circumstances are. The stories of the Bible help us understand the character and the capacity of God. He's a good father who wants to provide for his kids. So he takes Elijah into the wilderness to teach him and to care for him. And he's going to form this muscle of faith in Elijah to help Elijah see his capacity no matter what his circumstances are. So Elijah's out there. Birds are coming in and out. Morning, evening, morning, evening, the brook's working. And I want you to imagine for just a moment, it's, it's flowing. It's like there's this steady stream that is flowing all day long. Elijah has all of his needs met. Now, at some point, a little bit later, the brook starts to go a little bit slower, a little bit slower, and then eventually, the brook dries up. So Elijah goes back the next day, and there's no water. Now, if you're Elijah... You might be tempted in this moment to think, well, God messed up. He told me to come to this brook and there's no more water. And after a while, verse seven, it says, but after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. I want you to notice this verse because after a while, in all of our lives, there are moments where something we have depended upon for a season it's gone. Maybe the stock market, you were invested in crypto and you were living on that crypto gain. And then after a while, it kind of leveled out. Now, all of my crypto friends said, one day it's going to be worth a million dollars. That's cool. Thank you, crypto buddies. And I put my trust in Jesus, not crypto. But, <laughs> but sometimes you put your trust in something and it's working for a while. The market's going up. Your, your job's going great. But eventually, the brook dries up. And it's important when it comes to our faith journey to understand there is a stream of provision and a source of provision. And the two of them are not the same thing. In order to live with freedom in my finances, what I have to do first is separate the source from the stream. I have to separate the source of provision from the stream of provision. Now the stream of provision is what it comes through. It's this little well. It's the, it's the stream that Elijah's by. It's your company that you work for. It's your skill set that you have. It's the stock market. It's the, it's the assets that you own that are providing the rentals and you have multiple streams of income. It's different for every one of us, but there's a stream that God will use to provide for you. But if your eyes are on the stream and you don't realize that actually underneath the stream, there's something that it comes through, but underneath it, there's something or someone, I should say, that it comes from. There's a source of provision that's greater than the stream of provision. So, in any situation or any circumstance, God is not limited by my stream of income. I have to separate in my mind the stream from the source. So, Elijah, the brook dries up for him, and God says to him in verse 8, it says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon, I have instructed a widow to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. Now, notice, if Elijah had been so focused on the stream of provision, Elijah, Elijah would have stayed at this stream for a really long period of time, and like, well, God, we had so many amazing moments at this stream. You provi- Remember those ravens? Remember Bob, Joe, and, and Randy the raven? Like... They were my buddies, and now they're not bringing me food anymore. And something's weird. If Elijah's eyes are on the stream, Elijah would have missed what the source was saying to him. There was a source that was leading and caring for him. And number two, he paid attention to the source over the stream. So I have to separate in my mind the source from the stream, but I also have to listen to the source over the stream. God is speaking He's speaking to our lives, wanting to lead us and to guide us and to take us to a place of provision. Remember this time a few years ago, uh, back in 2020, when there was a toilet paper shortage? (laughs) Anybody remember that? Moment of honesty, anybody anybody still have some toilet paper that you took in 2020? (laughs) It was you. You took it all. Somebody had it. And the rest of us were waiting in line at grocery stores, at Costco, for long periods of time for a roll of toilet paper. But thank God there was still a shower. Some of you will get that later. (laughs) But many people were so anxious because their eyes were on the stream. Eventually, there are enough trees on planet Earth, toilet paper will return, it will come back, and eventually... It did come back, thank God. But if I'm confused about the source and the stream, I'll live with fear and anxiety. Today I am after your fear and your anxiety because it's restricting you from the fullness of what God wants to do in your life. If you live with a scarcity mindset, you will never step into the fullness of what God wants to do in and through you. He's an abundant God. Ephesians chapter 3, 16 and 17 says, He's the God of unlimited resource. So that means whatever it is that you and I lack, God has an abundance. Any situation, any circumstance, he's able to care for and able to provide. But not only is he able, he's wanting. And if I'm listening, he's speaking. He's speaking to you and he's saying, pay attention to the source, pay attention to me. Now he tells Elijah to go to this widow. Notice Elijah Goes out to the widow and arrives at the gates of the village and he saw this widow gathering sticks and asked her, would you please bring me a little water and a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. It's like, don't, don't, don't get too pushy, buddy. Like, water and bread? And this woman, this is a death sentence to her, the fact that she's a widow. In their culture, a widow basically meant she didn't have the means to provide for herself. And so here she is in a drought as a widow and she says, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I only have a handful of flour left in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I, I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. And notice this fear she feels. And imagine, I mean it's real, it's palpable. Maybe you've You've been there before. You've watched your bank account shrivel. You, you watched your company do layoffs. So many tech companies this year laid off thousands of employees, and you just think to yourself, "It's it's dwindling. It's 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 shrinking." I don't I don't have anything left. in that fear, that anxiety deep in our souls, that scarcity mindset that. There's no way I'm going to get out of this. There's no way I'm going to be provided for. But God is also, in addition to teaching Elijah, God is taking care of and teaching this widow. And there's a lesson that God is trying to teach her. So God teaches the prophet, but he also teaches this woman who is in her restricted circumstance that is seemingly scarce. But God wants to open her eyes through Elijah. And Elijah looks at her and says, don't be afraid. Some of you, this is your word today from God. Don't. Don't be afraid. You don't have to live with fear. God is not restricted. God is not confined to our circumstances. Don't be afraid. Go ahead and just do what you've said. But make a little bread for me first. Now notice that. He says first. There's something about this equation in God's economy. There's a a priority aspect to what is happening. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. It seems reversed, like I'm dying, I'm hungry, give me food, but Elijah says actually flip it on its head and prioritize me, prioritize God. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always be flour and olive oil left in your container until the time when the Lord sends rain and crops grow again. There will always be enough And the third thing that Elijah is saying to this woman, and God says to us through his word, if you put God first as the source of everything, there's a freedom that you experience to put God in first place as the source of everything. In verse 15, so she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the container's just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. There was always enough, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. God is a promise keeper. God is wanting to keep his promises to you. All throughout scripture, he makes promises to us about what he does and what he intends to do, and he always accomplishes his promises. And finances, or trusting him with our giving, first, He makes so many promises to us and I want you to see just a a few of these as we uh, continue our message. The first one God gives to us is that he will take care of all of my needs. In Philippians chapter four, verse 19, Paul, the apostle, is writing from a prison cell and he makes a statement. He wants the church to be encouraged that while he's in a prison cell, he's not limited. While, While he does not have the same resources that he once did, God is, not, God is taking care of every one of his needs and he is not limited. And he says this, and the same God who takes care of me, the same God who took care of Elijah, the same God that took care of the widow, the same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches. The source of life is not limited. He will supply all of your needs From his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus and I know so many people that have stories about God's faithfulness to show up Stacy and I have several of ours as well I remember we were in seminary we had moved to Fort Worth Texas and we had saved up a sum of money when we got married to get through seminary the first semester we did not want to take out more student loans while we were going to seminary And at the same time, we were both working minimum wage jobs about 20 hours a week. So the amount of money that we needed to go to school and pay for it was less than the amount of money that we were making. So we started using our savings so that we didn't have to take out debt. And I was watching throughout the course of our first semester, I was watching this amount of money in our bank. It was going down, 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 down. And the trajectory was not good. And there was a moment at the end of our first semester and there were bills that were still coming. And I remember being so concerned, saying, God, I don't know how we're gonna do this. I don't know how we're gonna pay for this. We're like running out of money. But I'm gonna continue to trust you. I know you've called us to go to seminary. I know that you have called us to trust you first with our finances and our tithes. I'm not, I'm not gonna compromise my obedience to you, but I really need you to help. I need your provision. And I remember in that moment, Right in the middle of this, Stacy one day went out to the mailbox, she got this letter, she brought it back, it was from Ashley Jett, her college roommate. Ashley, not the country music singer, but Ashley, Ashley writes this letter to Stacy and says, um, "Stacy, God put on my heart to give you and Andy this sum of money, and here it is, in a, in a little envelope, and it was the exact amount of money we needed to pay the bills that were in front of us. It was like God... Wanted us to see, I can provide for you in seminary, in college, when you're a student, when you're old, I can provide for every need that you have. So he gives us the promise through his word. He will take care of us. Secondly, he'll abundantly bless me when I trust him and put him first. He'll provide for every need I have and he will abundantly bless me. Luke 6.38, Jesus speaks and he says, give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make more room, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will be determine the amount that you get back. So the symbol that you use or the container that you use will be the container that I use to bless you back. I want to bless you abundantly, and I'm asking for your obedience. Jesus is saying, if you, if you trust me, I will take care of you. I will abundantly bless you. And there have been so many moments in our journey of ministry. While we were in the San Francisco Bay Area, we pastored there for 14 years. And like Saddleback, we would have capital campaigns. And these capital campaigns many times would be multi-year initiatives, sometimes to get the church into a building. And we had owned a home while we were in Texas, but when we went to the Bay Area, uh, we had to sell our home. And as you know, real estate in California is really expensive. And so there were a lot of moments where we're like trying to save up and we'd get a certain amount of money ready and then we would jump into a capital campaign as a church. And we would say, well, we, Stacy, and I, feel like we need to lead and go first. As pastors of this church, we need to step forward and trust God. And we would often, there were two times in particular, we would say, okay, I believe God's leading us to take all that money that he's given to us that we've saved up for a down payment on a home He's leading us to give it away in this capital campaign. We did it twice. And both of those times when we gave it away, we're like, I don't know if we'll ever own a home in California. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. We gave up that dream. But in 2015, there was a mission organization that approached us as church planters as we were starting the church and said, "Um, hey, we're selecting a few pastors who are pastoring churches in significant unreached areas of the United States and we're buying homes for these pastors to live in. We're letting them live in them for a few years and then at the end we'll sell it to you for the exact same amount that we bought it for. Would you be interested in this? And we're like, "Uh, yes, we would be interested (laughs) in that. And so God opened a door for our family to live in a house for multiple years to save up a down payment so that we could buy a house while the market was growing, he provided. He took care of our family. He He's done this over and over and over again. I'm sure you have your stories. He wants to give these stories to our lives, to our kids and our grandkids. But it starts, there's, there's this moment that I've gotta trust him. I've gotta put him first with the resources that he places into my hands. The third promise that scripture makes that we see is that he will multiply what I give back to him. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse seven through 10 says you must decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and there's a joy that comes when I trust in God. The reason it's a cheerful giver, there's a hilarious aspect to it that when I don't know where it's gonna come from but I trust God and he's faithful, There's a cheerfulness that comes and God will give generously to those and provide all that we need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others as the scripture says. They share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat in the same way he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity through you, And what Paul is saying in this letter to the Corinthians, he's saying that the resources God places into our hands are like seed. And every time I'm generous with what he places into my hands, God takes that seed and uses it to bless others. And those hands that God finds open to bless, he gives more seed to. Those hands that are greedy and closed, he's dropping seed, but the seed is not being received because of greed. But when I open my hands like this to say, God, use me, flow through me, he gets more to me when he knows he can get it through me. And I wonder today if you would look at your hands and just recognize that there's a power in opening your hands to say, God, use what you've blessed me with. God is a God who's wanting to bless his kids, but he's also finding kids that he can bless through. Some of you parents have bought a cookie or some kind of treat for your kid, and you're like, hey, can I have a bite? Give your sister a bite. Give your brother a bite. And then they don't give him a bite. And you're like, well, next time I'm buying two for the other kid. And there, there's an aspect of this with God that sometimes God blesses his kids, and it's like, well, I don't wanna help my brother. I don't wanna help my sister. But God is a generous God that wants to find kids that he can bless his other kids through. So if I'm open-handed, God will multiply what he gives to me so that he can use me To make a difference here on planet earth. These are promises from God. And there's one more promise I want to finish with. This is Malachi chapter 3 verse 18. And it's connected to all three of what we've looked at so far with these three promises. In Malachi chapter 3 verse 8 it says, Is it right to rob God? Yet you are robbing me, says the Lord. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And then God speaks to his people and he says this, By not Returning your tithes and your offering. Now that word tithe, oftentimes we think it's a tenth of our income. Maybe you've heard that before, a tithe is a tenth. That's wrong. A tithe is not a tenth, a tithe is the first tenth. So it's me trusting God before I give anything. This is why in our family, first thing that goes out of our account when we give back is our giving back to God because it's the first. There's something about the first Scripture says that Jesus was the first fruits of God's, his love for us, that he sent his first son, his one and only son, to us that we might receive salvation. So God is a generous God that is wanting first place. It's all from him and to him, but there's something so powerful about when he's first. So God says, if you're not giving the tithe, you're, you're literally robbing me, so bring your whole tithe into my storehouse that there might be food in my house. So this is an invitation. Test me, God says, in this, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room for you to store it, and then I will prevent the pest from devouring your crops. This is an invitation from God to trust him. And when we put him first, God says, if you test me in this, Watch my faithfulness. See if you don't have enough to contain that I will open up the windows or the floodgates of heaven to bless you. But you have to. He's saying, I'm inviting you into this trusting me first. And God is saying today, will you go on a journey of trusting me first? Putting me as priority. Now there are different steps that we take in our journey of generosity. And I want you to see a couple of these. It starts with trusting God Occasionally, There are a lot of people that maybe just begin and come to church once in a while and you give back to God and there's a part of that that is beginning that journey of generosity. There, there's a joy that you experience in it. There's a blessing in it. But there's something that happens when I move from occasionally trusting God with my giving to regular giving. And this is where I say, you know what, on a consistent basis I'm going to give back to God. So I go from occasional to regular but really, the biblical standard, from my perspective, when we look at the Bible, the threshold is proportional. It's my tithe. It's the first. And you can skip those first two steps. In fact, I would encourage you, go straight to trusting God, first place with your tithe. Now, when we trust God in proportional giving, then beyond that, so, so many people will take that step to strategically give. And we'll do things here throughout the course of The years, there have been buildings that have been built and the peace plan overseas and there have been so many projects along the way where people give above and beyond their tithe or their regular giving. That's strategic giving. And then finally, the last one, we will call sacrificial giving. And this is when I say, God, I wanna give and I know it's gonna cost me something to give back to you. But because you've sacrificed for me, I wanna sacrifice and trust Back to you. Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And there's nothing that I could sacrifice for God that he hasn't first given to me. Now, this journey of generosity, all of us are at different places. And some of you, you're here today and you're new to church and maybe even in your mind there are a lot of things going on about, well, does the church really just want my money? No, the answer is No. God doesn't need your money. The church doesn't need your money. God wants your obedience. God wants your heart. God wants your trust. He wants first place for you to experience the freedom that comes when he is first in your life. And I'm going to invite you to trust God for a period of time. If you've never taken the step to trust God in this area of your life, I want to invite you to trust him right now. But as we do, before we go there, I want you to hear just one quick story of somebody who took the step to trust God and put him first with their generosity. Let's watch this story, and then I'll be back up.
0: Going into our marriage, I had my own separate accounts, my own credit card, she had her separate accounts with her mom, and I was craving to be connected in this area, but at the same time, I was also not caring about whatever debt I was getting into, not caring about how I was making it. Um, several of my clients were were criminals. I, I just I didn't care how I got it. I wanted more of it, and God had to use everything at His disposal to get our attention. Um, I was sued for a six-figure lawsuit for wrongful business practices. I was accused of fraud, criminal negligence, and frankly, I did exactly what they were accusing me of
2: the moment when he told me about the lawsuit everything changed and I, I don't know I think I had sort of like kind of like that moment in my head of like we're going to get on our knees and we're going to pray God like we don't know what you're going to do with this like why we don't know what kind of outcome we don't know how we're going to survive this we are lost help us
0: Pastor Rick did a did a, a, a series on giving and he, he talked about God doesn't need your money God God wants your heart. God um, wants to bless you, but you, you, you need to take the first step. And that was that was it. You know, it was, it, it was like, okay, you know, we're gonna do this.
2: I watched him do it. I wasn't doing it. It took me a while to follow. Actually, I was quite stubborn because I had I had put God as a budget line item. Ultimately, God rang the bell so loudly, like, Taylor, Taylor, you're my kid. I got you. It's okay. I'm always going to have you. And surrendering my tithe and returning my tithe and trusting and putting my trust in God for my business and our finances is is a really healing and powerful thing for me
0: and us being able to come together putting our income into an account and and, and setting a budget it was like we finally got married for the first time where our souls came together and we became one
2: with a lawsuit we will be handing them we'll the
0: last payment in september, in september this, of year. this year
2: we paid it off and we might have a little little party, not a big party, a little party, just a small one. Making that choice and making that posture change and allowing God to be the the, the trustee over everything, um, it bears fruit.
1: So awesome to hear Chris and Taylor's story, and I hope that you're encouraged and inspired to trust God the way that they did. And some of you today, you're already on this journey. And no matter where you are, even as you look at the different places that we find ourselves on that journey of generosity, here's my challenge to you. I want to invite you to trust God more than you trust him now. I want to invite you for a period of 90 days to say, God, I'm going to trust you. Now, at the end of 90 days, if it's not working out for you, you can just go straight back to the way you've been doing it right now. And I, I, I guarantee you from my own experience and from what I've watched God do in so many other people's lives that you're going to see his faithfulness. There are going to be stories that come out of these 90 days for our church. There's going to be so much joy in God's favor that comes as a result of our obedience to him. Now, when we give back to God, we're only giving back to God that which he's already given to us. God is a giver. He's a generous God. He is the kind of giver that cares so much about us that he would go to a cross and pay for our sins on a cross. He would conquer the grave so that we can have life. And he wants to bless. He wants to give. He gives salvation as this free gift. And then when we receive salvation, he invites us into a journey of constantly growing and our trust in him. So today I wanna to invite you to take that step for the next 90 days to trust him on a trust challenge. We're calling it the trust challenge. On the bottom of your notes, you'll see a little QR code. I wanna invite you just to look at your notes for a moment down in the bottom right-hand corner. And if you scan that QR code, you'll, it'll take you directly to our Next Steps page, our digital program, and on the top of the digital program, there's a button that says the 90-Day Trust Challenge. I want to invite you to take that step. And when you do, our team put together a great resource to help and to walk through this journey together that will go directly to your inbox. It's a digital ebook that will come to you. And it will be a great journey together. Now, the reason I want to know is so I can pray for you so that our staff, can come alongside, support, and encourage you as you take this journey with us over the next ninety days. Stacy and I—we're going to be taking steps. We're already trusting God with our giving, but we're going to take a step forward to trust Him even more with you to experience this journey together. And God's going to do amazing things. It reminds me, if I might say, as I wrap up, it reminds me this last week as uh, Stacy and I we were celebrating our twentieth wedding anniversary. It reminds me of when I went into the jeweler right before I proposed to her. And y'all, I had like no money. And I remember going, I took a wad of cash and I basically slid it across the countertop. And I'm like, what can I get for this amount of money? And I, I emptied out my bank account to buy a ring and put it on her finger. It was kind of a pitiful ring looking back but it came from deep within my heart. It was all I had to give, and you know what? I've never regretted it in my entire life. There's never been a moment where I look back and I'm like, oh, I wish I could get that money back because I got a great treasure out of that sacrifice. And there is, there's something so beautiful about sacrificing and trusting God. There's never been a moment that I've invested in the kingdom of God and I regretted it later. The journey of generosity is this great joy journey that God blesses, provides, does miracles, and there's gonna be so much of that in your life as you take this step over the next 90 days. I wanna invite you to let us know today that you're taking that step, and we'll pray with you. Father, we do pray right now in this moment for every person that's taking this step to join in the journey of generosity for the next 90 days, and we pray that you would richly bless it, that you would provide miracles, and most importantly, that you would help us grow in our faith, our understanding of who you are and what you're like. Thank you for Saddleback Church, the rich 43 years of history, and so many people that have trusted you in this way, and God, I pray now that you'd raise up a new generation of men and women, students, people that trust in you at deeper and higher levels for what you want to do both in and through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
2: Thank you for listening to
0: this weekend message from Saddleback Church. If you like this, please consider leaving a rating or review for this podcast. The Saddleback Church Weekend Message Podcast is a part of the Saddleback Family of Podcasts. Visit saddleback.com slash podcasts or search for Saddleback Church in your favorite podcasting app to see more great podcasts from Saddleback. For more weekend message resources, visit saddleback.com slash message resources.